Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New Orleans Saints. This is the Saints Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Here's your host, Ryan O'Leary and Saints Wire editor, John Siegler. Well, John, a matchup of legit Super Bowl contenders from each conference ends up being kind of difficult to gauge, I thought, right? I mean, Drew Brees clearly not operating at 100%, not really an efficient game by his standards. The offense really struggled, but the Saints hung in there in, on defense, on special teams. The Chiefs really had to earn their 32-29 to win, but it sucks to lose this game because you had some chances to lock some stuff up, and that didn't happen. What do you, what do you, uh, what's your leadoff take on that? Yeah, it's tough. Um, you never. There's no such thing as a moral victory in the NFL or lo- losing a game and finding positives, and that is always a spin cycle. Um, but there were some things to be encouraged about from the Saints this week, and the number one thing that impressed me was just how well the defense played. Now they did give up 32 points, but I mean the Chiefs averaged thir- 31 points per game as it is. So. That's kind of far off the course for them. But they gave the Chiefs so much trouble, especially about Mahomes. Um, this was the first time the Chiefs had punted six times in a game all season. It's only the third time they've had to punt six times in the game since Mahomes was named the starting quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. The Saints defense just did a tremendous job getting after Mahomes all day. They sacked him four times. Um, he was under pressure on 44% of his, his pass attempts, um, which, which is far uh, b- below his usual standards, the, the Saints defense did enough to win this football game. The Saints special teams did enough to win this football game. You know, the, the Chiefs, uh, they lost uh, 15 yards on punt returns because the Saints did such a great job of drop, dropping re- the returners for a loss and for uh, putting Casey in pretty rough field position. And, you know, the Saints offense, I'm guilty of this too, um, the, the, the the first impression a lot of a lot of folks had was that Drew Brees looked rusty uh, in his first game back after four weeks on IR, and I think there might be some truth to that, but it was really overblown. And if you go back and watch the game again, watch it with the coach's tape, uh, the all twenty-two angles, all, all that, all those bells and whistles, um, you can really see how disjointed the offense was because they're missing so many players. Yeah. Um, they were down three of their top four receivers uh, midway through this game. They went into it missing Michael Thomas, missing Marquez Callaway, who's been a very good rookie for them. Um, Traquan Smith got knocked out of the game early on, and so that left Emmanuel Sanders and a bunch of guys who have you know, were on, on the practice squad Saturday morning and then dressing for the game on Sunday afternoon. Um, just a lot of guys who don't have a lot of experience with Breeze, who were running wrong routes, making the wrong decisions on option routes, uh, depending on the coverage. Uh, tight end Jer- Jared Cook had a bad day because of that as well. I mean, he ran one route so far off in the wrong direction from where he was designed to go that Drew Brees was hit with an intentional guarding penalty. Uh, <laughs> I mean, th- yeah. they were just so disjointed. They were not on the same page. And those are things that can be cleaned up and can be improved upon. And I, I, I do think that they're going to get this next win here soon, possibly against Minnesota. Now, it was a little painful when you got to target Taysom Hill 10 times in the passing game after he's been playing quarterback for the last three weeks, John, right? Like that just, uh, that's not a great thing. But yeah, Taysom Hill becomes your like de facto number two receiver all of a sudden with all these injuries. So I thought that you look at the box score, yeah, you're like, why are they targeting Taysom Hill this much? But it was out of necessity. 
Yeah, it, it was out. Of, it was out of necessity. Um, you would have liked to see the Saints get their star talent going better here, and th- that would make, that would call for more targets to Alvin Kamara, to uh, Manny Sanders, um, to Taysom Hill, who has. I mean, that, that that's been the story for him all throughout this until he became the, the, the starter with Reed's hurt was that he was a legit spark to the offense, um, mostly as a runner, but also uh, catching the ball in stride. And the Saints made an effort to keep him involved, which was a bit surprising after Jameis Winston was pulled from the game uh, because of a high-risk COVID-19 situation for him. And so the Saints only had two quarterbacks on Sunday against the Chiefs, and that's in Breeze and Hill. And while a lot of us thought that that would mean less of these gadget plays for Hill. Um, that wasn't the case. You know, the, the Saints weren't not too worried about Breeze getting injured again and happened to go back to one uh, passer. He just wished that, that maybe they would have made more of those opportunities. And he, even if uh, Jason did, did have a touchdown taken off the board because the line judge couldn't, could not uh, tell where, where the plane for the end zone was at one point. Now, John, you mentioned Michael Thomas being on IR. Well, I don't know if you mentioned he was on IR, but obviously he was not in this game. He's on the injured reserve. I think we all think he's going to be back for the playoffs. But you actually tweeted about this. Like, maybe Saints fans should be a little frustrated with the way this was handled. Thomas getting hurt week one, and then he's on IR, and then he's and then he's in a fight in practice, and he's suspended, and then he then he's hurt again. He has another injury, and then he finally comes back, and now he's back on IR. I mean, do you have an issue with the way they've kind of handled the Thomas situation this year? Is it bad luck? Like, what's your take on that whole thing? I know you kind of expressed a little bit of frustration with it on Twitter. Yeah, and frustration is really the, the, the golden word here. Um, you know, Michael Thomas... <sighs> I don't like how the Saints have handled this from the jump. Uh, back in week one, he gets hurt late in the game, and everybody is saying, oh, it's, just a, it's, it's minor, it's nothing serious. IR is not an option. He'll, he'll be back for the Packers game uh, in week three. That, but that, that was – go back and listen to our, our podcast after we, after that game. Um, that, that, that was the, the word from the team and all these national reporters and local guys and everybody was the expectation that, was that Michael Thomas was going to miss a week, maybe two, and then he would be back. Everything would be back to normal. The Saints – Apparently, they did not diagnose this injury correctly uh, because it has lingered four months later. Right now, we're hoping that he'll be well enough to play in the postseason uh, in, in January. You know, the Saints, they have a history of this. Um, they have had a lot of turnover in the training staff after some big incidents, I, I, I guess would be a way, a way to put it, with cornerback uh, Delvin Bro uh, breaking his leg and then the, the team doctors uh, misreading his x-rays and saying that, oh, no, you're good, you're good to play, and that, that was the whole fiasco. Uh, ended his NFL career. He's had to go back to the CFL since then. Uh, the Saints, they, they kind of have a history here, and there are guys who have gotten hurt while playing for the team and kind of felt like, well, they, maybe they were cutting some corners, uh, maybe, maybe they didn't have the best people in these positions, whatever it may be. And I really want to believe the Saints are cognizant of that issue and that they've taken a lot of steps to correct it and get on the right track, take care of their people. Um, but I just don't know how you can have that kind of confidence when you look at how Michael Thomas has been handled this year. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but from everything we're seeing now, he should, he should have been on injured reserve from the start uh, because the, the only way the cycle sprain heals up is by not working on it, by not practicing, by staying off of it, by keeping weight off of it, by, allow, by allowing the structures in, in, in the ankle to, to heal up and get right. And the Saints did not do that. I mean, yeah, they had him on the sidelines for a few weeks, but he, he was practicing. He would be limited one day, the NT the next. He, he would be kind of going in and out of the lineup. He, did, he had the hamstring issue pop up um, because they were trying to have it both ways. And I understand why you would do that because, he, I mean, 
Last year, he was the best player on the, on the team. And so, no, you don't want to lose that guy to injured reserve. But at the same time, the Saints didn't do a good job taking advantage of the rules changes to IR this year. They, they could have put him on IR for three weeks back in September, and maybe he's well enough to play after that. Um, but they didn't do this. And so they, they tried to have it both ways, and they gotten burned. And now they're having to call up three practice squad receivers on Saturday afternoon and play them on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And then we just saw what happened. Right. And then you, you got to run Taysom Hill out there. Like he's uh, your you know, go-to wide receiver and target him 10 times in a game. So uh, yeah, I think the, the saints show that they're really close with the chiefs, even, and even when they're operating at less than a hundred percent, but I think they need Michael Thomas if they're going to make a real Super Bowl run. I mean, we wanted to build that game as a Super Bowl, a potential Super Bowl uh, preview. I don't know if it is without Michael Thomas. they got to figure that thing out, and hopefully it's not too late. So, yeah, interesting analysis there by John. I wanted to get John's take on another situation, a late-game coaching decision by Sean Payton that I found in real time to be really fascinating. And I don't think Sean Payton necessarily made the wrong move, but I just thought in real time it was super fascinating. Let's talk about that coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit up, start up. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from thehuddle.com. Welcome to week 16 of the fantasy football season. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about strong plays in the championship round for most leagues. Derek Carr left last week with a groin injury that was deemed a one to two week situation, but he's been splitting first team reps with Marcus Mariota. For all of the on-paper upgrades Miami made in the offseason, it has struggled to contain competent quarterbacks, especially dual threats. Cam Newton, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and Patrick Mahomes. All of them trounced this group, and even rookie quarterback Justin Herbert found success. Mariota is the better recommendation in the event he starts, just because we don't know what to expect from Carr's injury. But the matchup is right for either player. Sticking with the same matchup, but on the other side of the coin, running back Lynn Bowden of the Miami Dolphins takes on the team that drafted him in the Raiders. Bowden is a running back-receiver combo and can be flexed out into the slot. In fact, he does that more often than not. He's by far the most talented natural receiver out of this backfield, but keep in mind he offers nothing from the running game perspective, with just three carries in the last three games. Injury question marks with Jakeem Grant, Devontae Parker and Mike Kosicki leave this passing game a little thin, so it will be all hands on deck. The Raiders have given up five and a half receptions a game to running backs in 2020, and Bowden is poised to eclipse that mark. Los Angeles Chargers wide receiver Tyron Johnson versus the Denver Broncos. Injuries have slowed receivers Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and it opened the door for the explosive Johnson to see more action. His 12 targets in the last two games after only nine on the year entering week 14. There's a ton of risk here since he's a low volume, high yield type of player, but the Broncos have permitted 21 different efforts of at least 10 PPR points in 2020, and both Allen and Williams scored in the earlier meeting. Johnson is an intriguing flex flyer. Chicago Bears rookie tight end Cole Komet at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Understand by starting him, you're taking a tremendous amount of risk, and this is purely a flyer for a touchdown against a defense that has been atrocious at stopping tight ends in 2020. Only the Jets have allowed more touchdowns on the year to the position, and no team has given up scores at a higher frequency than once every 5.2 catches. But seven times the position has been held to 36 or fewer yards, which makes this the epitome of a gamble for a touchdown. For more fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, John, so this is super interesting to me, at least, as a football fan. So the Saints get the touchdown pass from Breeze to someone, you know, people who don't follow the Saints all the time probably have never heard of. Uh, Breeze to Humphrey for, with 2.06 remaining to uh, pull the Saints within three. 
And now this is an interesting situation for Sean Payton, right? There's 2.06 remaining. You have two timeouts. He could try the onside kick, which I think the percentages on that are probably terrible, so I understand why he didn't do it. But I think the percentages of kicking the ball to Patrick Mahomes and getting it back is almost as terrible, right? Because Mahomes might be the best closer in the game. He's just ridiculous at it, and the Chiefs are aggressive, and they'll throw it, and they, they won't just sit there and run it three times and punt it back to you. Peyton decides to kick it out of the end zone, right? Save the 206 on the clock, save that two-minute warning, and try to get the football back. We all know how that worked out. Kelsey, after the two-minute warning, gets the first down. Now the game is effectively over. What do you think about that decision? Did you want them to go for the onside kick and try that thing, and then if they don't get it, try to hold them to a field goal or something? Or did you think it was the right decision to roll the dice and, and hope the defense can make a play? Yeah, I didn't have any issue with that decision. Um, part of that might be some recency bias because the Saints failed to to convert an onside kick just a, a week ago. They seem um, super hitter. Like you can't get those things right now, right? I mean, yeah, the yeah, the, uh, yeah. Um, Atlanta Falcons legend, yeah, Young Way Koo is the only one, the the only sure surefire <laughs> onside kick uh, specialist in the league, apparently. Um, but no, I didn't have any issue with that. Um, partially because of who they were coaching against. I mean, just because you kick the ball to an Andy Reid offense close to the two minute warning doesn't mean he's not going to give it back to you. He might have Patrick Mahomes, but Reid is still one of the, the least efficient uh, clock managers in the game. And I think Mahomes has done a lot to kind of correct that issue by being just such an efficient passer, making the most of his opportunities, all that jazz. But I understood what the Saints were doing. I mean, they had two timeouts and the two-minute warning. They were counting on Reed to call a first-down run, which he did to send them to the two-minute warning. And so now it's second and eight with two timeouts. Uh, so you get two stops and you get off the field. And that's something the Saints defense did a lot. I mentioned earlier, they, they forced six punts from Kansas City yep. this week. Um, that's the first time that that's happened all year for the Chiefs. Um, they, they were highly competitive on third downs. They had a lot of success in getting off the field on those third downs. And just getting, actually getting the third down had looked like that, that was uh, the trick this time because the Chiefs ran 92 plays on offense. So I, I understood why the Saints did what they did. I didn't have any real issue with it. You just wish that maybe it would have played out a bit differently. Maybe they, they could have made some different decisions. If you look back at, at some other end-of-game sequences the Saints defense has had, uh, the, the one that comes to mind for me is – 2017 against Washington, um, where they blitzed Kirk Cousins. They're 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 at the end of regulation to send the game to overtime. Um, it was beautifully designed, call beautiful plan. Um, the Saints were not as aggressive in this matchup. They only called seven blitzes all day long. And to be fair, they were having a ton of success by only sending three or four. But you know, in the game on the line, Dennis Allen is known. I mean, he's part of that same coaching tree with Greg Williams and. You know, the Bryans and all these other guys who are hyper-aggressive, blitz uh, heavy schemes, they're, they're going to send pressure in, on critical downs. And I kind of wish that he would have been more true to himself in that moment and really just gone down punching rather than betting that Patrick Mahomes is not going to complete a pass to Travis Kelsey on second or third down. I don't disagree with the call Peyton made because I think the analytics, the math shows that you do kick it off in that situation and try to let your defense uh, get the football back, but... Mahomes is just a different cat. They let him throw the ball in those situations. 
maybe they're playing into your hands a little bit. Andy Reid calling the pass play, which I think we all saw it coming either on second or third down. He's going he's gonna to throw it, and you just hope that they throw the incompletion and you get the ball back with some timeouts in your pocket. So I'm not going to nitpick Sean Payton for that. The only way I would be mad at him, John, is if he tried one of those pretend, you know, fake the surprise onside kick. If they did that thing, I would have been pissed. But they didn't do that. So you can't give Sean Payton too much crap, I think. I didn't, but I just thought that was an interesting late game situation just because it's Mahomes on the other side. And he's so freaking good at it. He's just so good at closing out these games. Even when he's down in the second half, when he has to get a score or whether it's running out the clock, not giving the ball back to the other team. He just seems time and time again to do that better than any other quarterback right now. Yeah, and that, that, that's really what he's known for, is being this guy who you, you put the ball in his hands, uh, they're, they're close to the end of regulation, and he's going to make the most, which is kind of funny considering that's not what Andy Reid's teams have been known for uh, for the last 20, 30 years. Right. Um, I mean, Andy's got, he's got a lot of flag for, for his uh, clock management, um, his game management, whatever, whatever it may be. He's finally found a quarterback who can kind of um, – open up that margin for error from Andy Reid. Um, I understood what Sean Payton was going for, what he was thinking. I just wish that the Saints would have gambled more on getting pressure, maybe with a blitz there at the end of the game, as opposed to dropping guys in coverage and hoping that Mahomes and Travis Kelsey would not link up on a critical uh, conversion to close out the game. Um, that, that, that's, that's just such a high percentage moment. To me, that I would have liked to see the Saints be a bit more proactive and working against it. And that's not what we got. And hopefully we'll get another shot in the Super Bowl. This is going to be a fun Christmas for Saints fans. You're going to wake up, open your presents, do that whole thing. And then you got Saints football. Let's talk about that coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of Bet7 Podcast and SportsbookWire.com. It's week 16 of the NFL, and I'm joined again by Jeff Clark, my colleague. We're breaking down the Sunday night football game between the Tennessee Titans and Green Bay Packers. The Packers are three-and-a-half-point home favorites at Lambeau, minus 105 odds. The Titans on the road, plus three-and-a-half-point underdogs, minus 115 odds. Big game for both teams. Playoff implications all over the board here. Packers trying to hold on to the number one seed in the NFC. I'm on them to win by at least four points. Jeff, I think Matt LaFleur just gets his revenge against Tennessee Titans, even though things worked out pretty well for him. He can't be too angry at them. Yeah, I'm definitely swung the Matt LaFleur uh, revenge game. To me, it's a toss-up with the offenses. It's a bit of a toss-up with the defense. I'm willing to concede Green Bay is a little bit better on the defensive end or more reliable. Uh, But the game just means more to the Tennessee Titans. Um, They haven't locked up anything. Not the AFC South, not an AFC wild card, whereas Green Bay has the NFC North all tucked away and could be looking ahead to the playoffs or just wanting to rest up, not giving a full effort. Uh, Give me the three plus the hook with the Titans. So this is kind of fun. Vikings, Saints, a meaningful game, more so for Minnesota, I think, but still meaningful for the Saints. They're still trying to uh, wrap up this this division. John, you kind of warned us. Yeah, I've always, I've kind of wanted to just pencil the Saints in as the division champ, but the Saints lose, the Bucks win, and it's still not clinched yet. They still got to win win a ball game to clinch it. The good news is we don't have to wait too long. They're going to play on Friday, which is the Christmas Day game. 
And this is kind of interesting. I don't think the NFL, the NFL traditionally will not put a game on Christmas unless it's probably on a Saturday or a Sunday, you know, on that on that weekend, because we have the Saturday, Sunday games around Christmas time. But it's rare to see them put a game on a Friday night. Right. So this week, there's no Thursday night game. You got the Saints Vikings in the Friday night window. And this is kind of interesting, John. Now we've had games on every day of the week this year, right? We've had Fridays, Saturday games, Sunday games, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, obviously. So the NFL has played on every day of the week once we hit Christmas Day with the uh, with the Vikings and the Saints. But that's going to be a treat for Saints fans, right, to do the whole Christmas thing. I'm not sure how it's going with the pandemic, but you know, people maybe in small family clusters, and then you get to turn on your TV and watch some football late in the afternoon. And, and as we were just talking about off the air, the uh, NFL is going in and competing with the NBA. This is usually the NBA's day, and so New Orleans sports fans are going to be spoiled on Christmas Day this year. Yeah, we get we get the New Orleans sports doubleheader. Uh, we get the Pelicans heat at noon, and then Saints Saints Vikings at three thirty uh, Central Time, of course. Um, should be a fun matchup. They're, they're in, in, in both of those. Um, the Heat had a very, very entertaining uh, final series with the Lakers this past year. They couldn't knock off the, the, hate, the hated trader Anthony Davis and the Lakers, unfortunately. Um, but you know, it should be a fun matchup. Uh, but lots of fan favorites there for for, for New Orleans Pelicans fans. But to, to circle back to this uh, Saints Vikings matchup, that, that that should be. Gosh, I mean. I don't think the Saints have ever had an easy game with the Vikings over, over ever since they hired Mike Zimmer. Um, it seems like every one of these games goes down to the wire. Uh, Zimmer, he, he's known Sean Payton a long time. They were both assistants for Bill Parcells back in the day with the Cowboys. And the Vikings are a very well-coached team. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They don't uh, commit a lot, a lot of penalties. They don't miss a lot of tackles. Um, it's, it's going to be difficult. And this is a game that you know could very well – have an argument to be a, a must-win game for, for the Saints. Um, the only way they don't win the NFC South this year is if they lose to the Vikings and they lose the next week to the Panthers. And if the, the Bucks can can win their last two games. We've had two weeks in a row now where all the Saints needed was one win, one victory to, to clinch the division for the fourth year in a row, and they have not been able to do it. Uh, they got tripped up by the Eagles in, that, in, in the trap game, and they, they weren't able to seal the deal with the Chiefs. And goodness, it, it's not the ideal position to be uh, late in, in December. But you know, they're not—they're not the first team that has had to wait this deep into the season to try and clinch their division. Um, I don't know that we'll ever know the, the, the NFC East winner this year. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so it'll it, be—it'll be a fun matchup for sure. Um, hopefully, we, we can see some more touches for Alvin Kamara. Excuse me. Um, against Alvin Cook, uh, should be a great running back stool, um, and we'll unfortunately get to see a terrific uh, rookie out of LSU uh, playing for the other team, and that, that's Justin Jefferson, the at receiver for, for the Vikings. The Vikings are they seem like an uneven football team, right? They got some really good players, some good talent. I think the coach is good, but they're uneven, right? They're you know they can beat a good team like the Packers, like they did earlier this year, but then they can get kind of. You know, beaten around by the Bears. So uh, they're tough to gauge, which sometimes makes it, you know, sometimes makes it scary. I think the Falcons are tough to gauge, too. And they're up 17 nothing over the Buccaneers yesterday or uh, this past week. Right. So tough to gauge teams kind of. Yeah, freak well, me that, out a that's just what do. the Falcons do. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, they were down 17 nothing to Tom. Oh, they're, they're up 24 seven to Tom Brady or they were leading Tom Brady. I should say, John, 24 seven in the third quarter. I get no, nobody could have seen what was coming next on that one. Right. Um, no, not at all. But 
I don't know. Just like these these teams, like the Vikings, that are tough to gauge, that could beat anyone but lose to anyone. They're they kind of creep me out late in the season when you need a win. You know, that just that's just kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, I think that's very reasonable, um, especially given the Saints' history with the Vikings, and you know, not just the playoff losses, but look, look at every game. I mean, they, they, the Saints—they've never beaten Mike Zimmer's Vikings by more than ten points, and this is going to be a competitive matchup, and it's going to be. Um, a typical difficult game. I, it, it's the third week in a row where this one's probably going to come down to, to the Saints needing to convert an onside kick uh, late in the fourth quarter. That, that's just what my gut is telling me here. And all along, I, I've been saying that you know the Saints they might beat the Chiefs, they might beat the Vikings. They're not going to beat both of those teams back to back on the short, off of a short week with four days of practice, five days to play. But they came also close to beating, beating the Chiefs, so hopefully. Pendulum, pendulum can swing the other way a bit. Um, momentum can swing the other way a bit. And the Saints can find a way to kind of put, put the nail in the coffin for the Vikings, give them some uh, well-deserved payback, um, and take them out of the NFC playoff picture. Given the Saints' kind of deficiencies on offense, the injuries, the uncertainty, the short week, John, do you think them being favored by 6.5 is uh, too much? Do you think there's some value on the Vikings' side? Yeah, I think so. Just looking at this, t- uh, both the, this uh, series' history, I think the Vikings will be more competitive than that. I, I, I think this one's going to come down to a field goal, which, well, uh, if it comes down to a field goal, that would help the Saints because the Vikings uh, have, have a, a cursed history with kickers. Um, so maybe maybe they could come out ahead if, if, that, if that's what it ends up deciding this game. But, yeah, I think it will be closer to that than, than six and a half. Um, I'm definitely not ruling the Vikings out of this. To me, they're just as, as likely to dominate the Saints as the Chiefs were. John, have a great holiday weekend. Enjoy some Saints football and maybe even some Pelicans on Christmas. That's going to be pretty sweet. Yeah, we're all, we're all looking forward to it here in the, uh, the greater Gulf South. And uh, it should, should be a, a great uh, lo- lo- long holiday weekend for everybody. No doubt. Join us next week on the Saints Wire podcast. This USA Today sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's sports media group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.